Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to show number 27 of The Jimmy Palumbo Show. My name is Jimmy Palumbo, your host of The Jimmy Palumbo Show. And of course, you know, I just like to say my name in the beginning because no one else is saying my name all week long. Of course, I got Chris Gucci behind the glass here serving as my producer. And this is show number 27. Good evening, Chris. How you doing today? I'm doing I mean, you I know, know that you know the answer to that listen, question. The bottom line is Chris is a big Packer fan and he's much more invested in um when Rutgers loses their first game, I'll have the same feeling that Chris does with the Packers. But we're gonna leave the Packers alone, uh, just for now, because this is show number twenty seven. Now, this was interesting to me because um I could have gone with Mel Hall, Raul Abanez, um, old school, my dad would have got a kick out of Johnny Lindell. Then you can go with guys like Elliot Maddox, who played for the Yankees and the Mets and flips the shades. Uh, there was also a guy when we were younger, I think he played in the late 70s, Aurelio Rodriguez. Anybody remember him? Then you got some guys who played a few years ago, Austin Romine and Bob Wickman. Then there's Butch Weininger and uh, guys like that. But then your bigger guys, your Mike Trout, your David Ortiz, Eddie George, Catfish Hunter, Altuve. We're never going to go with those guys. But those are some big number 27s. But I have to go with probably the biggest number 27 in my life right now because of the game last night, and we will talk about it. I am going to go with number 27 of the New York Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton. And the reason why I'm going, I know he's a star, and I normally don't do that. I thought I think Stanton's having a great year. Everybody's still mocking out the contract and mocking out his strikeouts, but he's batting two seventy. He's got twenty seven home runs, like eighty ninety RBIs. There's still plenty of time to go, and uh, I just think uh, John Carlos Stanton is not the problem with the Yankees. Never has been. Uh, last year in the playoffs, John Carlos Stanton was eight for twenty six, thirteen RBIs in seven games. Totally carried him, um, and I think. Uh, Look, I just think he's a, he's a very, very good player. Forget about his contract. And three years from now, he'll probably be fat and slow and stink. We'll talk about that. But right now, it's all about Giancarlo. And last night, he tied the Met game and was the first Yankee to be... Uh, how am I going to phrase this without being politically correct? To me, he was like the first Yankee who was a little bit of a dick back to someone else who was pissing on the Yankees. Now, Lindor had a great game. He hit the two home runs up to that point. But he was mouthing off, looking at the bench, talking about some whistling scandal the Yankees were doing. And Stanton was like, you know, uh, all year long, he's been emotionless. He stands up every every post-game interview when they lose. Stanton, he sticks with it. He's uh, He has that little Jeter thing going on. Doesn't give you much, but he never, like, he always faces the music. And he was coming around first base, and I haven't seen this in a while. He was literally, like, yelling at him and basically was saying, like, the words I saw out of his mouth were, you shouldn't be talking shit, like, you've done nothing. And then he was even backpedaling, which I've never seen that. Like, turned as he As he hit second base. And I was like, of course, I love Stan, and I'm like, and by the way, it was a missile out of the park. But I was like, you know what? Here's John Carlos Stanton, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, Judge was out of the game. He's like the face of the franchise right now. And he was saying, like, in my mind as a fan, he was just saying, no, 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 no. Calm down there, pal. Like, you're batting 220. You suck. Shut your mouth. And right or wrong, I mean, you know, uh, listen, players, should should they be talking crap going around the bases? I get all that. But it was nice to see a Yankee finally saying, enough. Show some life. Show some blood some here. fight. And, uh, you know, of course, the next inning, Chad Green decides to throw a fastball to Lindor, and Lindor actually won the night for sure. But in the eyes of a fan, Stanton really uh, impressed me by doing that. 
you know the feeling that you had when they lost the game, and you're like, all that for a loss, and it's to the Mets, and the fans get to get get us. I didn't feel that way. I though. was just gonna say, hopefully, the Yankees feel the same way the fans did, right? And this kind of bring because the Yankees have been reeling. They they played great thirteen games in a row or whatever they did, and then they they kind of hit the right. They hit the ground, I guess you could say, not running, for sure. And to all you Mets and Yankee fans, I thought it was three days of bad pitching, bad defense, and sloppy baseball. The games were cool, only because of the scores. But, I mean, the Mets dropped ground balls. The Yankees were booting balls. Like, little league play, I thought. Hopefully Stanton got in the team's ass a little bit. And the other guy, I got to give credit. To me, the the two guys, well, yeah, listen, Stanton's not a rah-rah guy. Never was. Uh, and this other guy who's his last year who won't play, he'll probably be out of the bigs. Um, Gardner, his at bats, you know, he even when he strikes out, he looks angry. Um, uh, he just looks, he's fiery in the dugout. Uh, there's just something about that guy, and, and you know, uh, nothing against Judge. Judge is their best player, um, but like. It, it, the Yankees are lifeless. And the things that you're describing about Gardner is why he got that $4 million contract. And why he's, he's been in the league. His best he, days are behind him. But, yeah. but what he brings, he brings a he's, professional at-bat. He I looks pissed. It sounds like a, oh, a professional at-bat. He's batting 211. But he fouls off four pitches in that bat He right. fills up almost every count. And when you got a team like the Yankees where everyone else strikes out anyway, you almost need Gardner. And, and, <laughs> and notice Gardner looks pissed. Yeah. I don't know how else to like. I mean, as a fan, I know. Listen, we get caught up in this fan stuff. The bottom line is, I'm a big. You, know, you are what your record says you are, of course. But like, when your team's playing shitty, and you want someone in the dugout to look pissed. Like when I, even on my softball team, if we're playing a team, I think we should be beating. We're down like six to two, uh, and and the dugout on the bench, me it's and my acting buddies, like you're winning. We're, what, we're, what are you? Do, what like, are you doing? I'm I'm angry. Like we shouldn't be losing this team six two. Of course, it's softball and you don't care. But is that it's that visual, the optics? Please, will somebody look a manager even look pissed off? And I think uh, Gardner does that. And John Carlo, I just love. Him. I'm sure we're going to be reading all about it. But anyway, so show number twenty seven. Giancarlo Stanton. Now, Chris, who do you got? I'll go with my boy, Eddie Lacy, big fat running ah, back. I saw that. I saw that. I saw <laughs> you that. go with a couple other guys, Steve Atwater. I always pick a safety, at least in the okay. 20s. Yeah, you always pick those guys. And then guys. who else we got? Eddie George. But we're going to go with Eddie Lacy just because the Packers suck and he sucked. All right. Eddie Lacy. Okay. Tap that in. Eddie Lacy. You only get, you know, unless you play college sports where everybody has the same number. That's another story. Um, but that's it. Eddie Lacy and John Carlos Stanton. I really wanted to go with Mel Hall though, because he caught the last out of the '96 World Series. But no, that 90s. was Charlie Hayes. No, I'm sorry, Mel Hall. Mel Hall was a good Yankee, but he. I the, think he's. You know, I totally got Charlie Hayes mixed up with Mel Hall there. That never happens to me like that. Mel Hall was. Did they get rid of him before they Mel won in '96? I want to say. Um, no, it was Roberto. Kelly I promise you, I'm making trade. a mental note. We got to check out. I cannot believe. I'll look it up right now. If you don't, I would normally have you edit that out of the show, but But I can't. We we will we'll leave it. All right. So um, all right. So that's it. Giancarlo Stanton, Eddie Lacy, and we'll be right back. Service team of professionals, aka Stop Restoration of Edison, is a locally owned and operated business that provides professional disaster cleaning and restoration services, including a 24 hour emergency service to homeowners 
property managers, real estate investors, and insurance companies alike. Stop Restoration helps people overcome the stress and anxiety of unforeseen circumstances caused by fire, smoke, water, mold, and other unexpected damages. As part of a nationally recognized restoration franchise, Stop Restoration of Edison is backed by the best technical advisors and business consultants in the country. Visit them right now online at www.stop-edison.com. All right, we are back. Now, this weekend was certainly fine for me in college football. Rutgers is now 2-0. and They beat Syracuse, and they got two wins against two teams that aren't that great, but they're two regular Division One. There's no, uh, you know, uh, Hamptons or Gramblings or, you know, University of New Hampshire, which that kind of stuff. Um, I was annoyed. The ACC Network, the other game ran long. They said to go to ACC Network Plus, which only four people in the country have. Uh, so we missed the beginning of the game. I was listening to it on the radio, of course. Um, listen, Rutgers won the game. Syracuse defense is pretty good. I think Syracuse is going to play good defense the rest of the year. Um, Rutgers hung in there, and they won the game. And they're 2-0 and on the road at the Carrier Dome. Tough place to play. And they're 2-0, and and they're heading into Delaware, which I think is a winnable game. Some of the crazy Rutgers fans like myself start going, oh, Delaware's a really good Division Two FCS team. They got a good receiver. I they know a good receiver who signed with the Chop Sports Network. I'm thrilled he's, he's to death for him. His, his stats are crazy right now. Right. He's, so he's good for really him. Well. I hope the Chop Sports Network makes money. But, you know, even if Rutgers uh, is down 14 nothing, I think there's got to be a wear-me-down factor in this game. At home, 3.30 start. Uh, hopefully the weather will be nice. Well, lucky for Rutgers, in this case, their defense is playing, is, is what their bread and butter has been. Right. Defense, special teams, They're playing I don't better. think that's going to change. And we have the best punter in the country. It's um, it's uncanny what this guy's doing. So, um, yeah, Rutgers, listen, technically their season ends this Saturday when they play Delaware. And then, of course, they've got uh, two brutal games in a row at Michigan and home against Ohio State. Um, but you know what? The fun thing as a fan for me is that I'm going to see, I hopefully will be 3-0 unless we shit the bed. And then I get to see, okay, let's bring on a really good team and let's see where we're at. In other words, we're going to know in the two weeks after the Delaware game, has Shiano improved the current team? Is this kid Wimsat going to get in the game? So you need Michigan to win this week because they ain't losing yeah, two in a row. Yeah, they ain't losing two in a row. So <laughs> it should be fun. It's exciting, though. I'm pumped up. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think, uh, you know, another weird thing is uh, – Siri just got yeah, Siri just came in right in there. What um you don't understand? Penn State has four home games in a row in the middle of their schedule. Like Rutgers never has. I guess Penn State's got more juice in the Big Ten. But like, that could that could come back to bite them, though. No? Like later on in the year, they're gonna have got, to do everything well, on the road. Up, they got you know they got Penn State's got a big game this week. It's Auburn. That'll be interesting. But I always Penn find State like, came out of the gate with Wisconsin right away, and uh, they Wisconsin and now Auburn. Those are two. So. Now, you want to play games, uh, even though I'm not a Penn State fan. I think if Penn State beats Auburn, they should be ranked third. Like, who else opened up with two teams like that? I mean, they're not going to jump teams that have handled their business that were ranked ahead of them. Well, but I feel like if, well, they, if Penn State wins, Ohio State was ranked third. They just lost to Oregon. Yeah. If Penn State wins against Auburn, and they, they got, have to be ranked they ahead, be ranked of, in the top uh, 10, ahead of them. Imagine. I think sometimes they get a bad rap that way. But uh, after the game, I was able to go to Leggett's down in Manasquan to have a beer with my boy Keith, the bartender. Um, it was weird being in there on Saturday Are you night. about yeah. to transition off of sports? Uh, a little bit. I just right, wanted I to wanna, say. I wanna, while we're still on sports, I wanted to mention Mel Hall. Okay. <laughs> 45 years in prison for 
multiple sex crimes. No hole. No. So, yeah, maybe that's a good segue where we could talk about what the heck happened to that guy. Okay. New so, Mel Hall, there's a new show coming on I want to tell you guys about. It's called What the Heck Happened to That Guy? And me and my buddy Rick Antonori, who's a Division II coach um, in baseball out in Ohio, we started out doing this other podcast, and we had this little segment where we decided he was going to take a Met, I was going to take a Yankee, and it's a player who's not a star. No Piazzas, no Jeters, um, and it's some guy that the fans would remember. And it's got to be past 1975, so we're not talking about someone from that nobody remembers or is dead. And um, so I take a Yankee, he takes a Met, we don't tell each other what it is, and we do, a, like, it's a little cute little show between, I don't know, 15 and 20 minutes long, where we go over these players, and we actually really research, you know, go through their statistics, really give them, like, a little 60 minutes coverage, and we find out. Where are they now? Are they coaching? Are by they sixty this? minutes, he means fifteen. No, it's fifteen I mean minutes. The, sixty minutes. The <laughs> no, television I know, I know. show. Uh, thanks for reminding my viewers. I mean, my uh, listeners on that. So I think you guys are going to really like this show. I call it what I call a drive off the road thing. Because if you turn the show on, I'm going to mention a guy. And you're going to be like, "Oh my god, I remember that guy." And then you're going to either find out he actually wasn't nearly as good as we did today's show when I recorded it earlier. And we're also going to find out uh, guys who are like, oh my God, this guy played 16 years in the big leagues. Why well, don't I remember him? And then we also find out what they're doing now. Uh, so there's a lot of cool little tidbits. It's a cute little show. I love doing it. Um, and that's going to be start. That's going to drop this Friday. So please check it out. On um, And the official title is going to be, What the Heck Happened to This Guy? No, what are we gonna call it? Whatever happened to that guy? Whatever happened to that guy? I, and, I've never, I never get this right. And to keep it simple and streamline it, streamline it for all the listeners. We're just gonna keep it on the Jimmy Palumbo feed, so you won't have to resubscribe, but you can share it. Okay, so it's gonna say Jimmy Palumbo show on it, but there'll be a new logo. There'll be all that stuff, okay. but it's gonna come out on the same feed, so, so all it's your the listeners same feed. will get it. Yeah. All right, as long as everybody will that know. on Friday morning. I trust my producers here, but you will have a show called. You know, I I butcher the title all the time. You know, I think the title should be: Is this guy dead yet? Who the hell's this? What happened to this guy? Bottom line is, it's players you forgot about. But as soon as I say the name. You're going to be like, oh, I remember that guy. And then you'll have to piece it together. It started out with the theory of how many times you've been at the bar. And uh, and uh, this happened to me with uh, Johnny Newman. He used to play in the NBA. I went to a Clipper game. And I thought Johnny Newman had been out of basketball for like 10 years. And there's uh, we had front uh, courtyard uh, seats, courtyard, courtside seats. And there was a guy in front of me named Newman. And my buddy was a big Nets fan, and I'm sitting there, and uh, the Clippers were like, it was Clipper-Net game at Staples Center. And there's a guy, Newman, and I'm looking, at my, I'm looking at my buddy going like, Johnny, no, but, you know. He's like, why do you keep on saying Johnny Newman's name? I'm like, oh, that guy Newman there used to play for the Knicks 100 years ago. He's like, no, Jimmy, that's, that's Johnny Newman. I was like, no way. Like, in my mind, this guy stunk like he stunk. And I think he played in the NBA like 45 years. So it came from that thing where you're sitting at the game and something happens. They put a graphic on there and you're like, yeah, whatever happened to that guy? That's what the show's all about. So that will drop this Friday. You guys will love it. Um... So I guess we're off the sport. No, not off the sport. we got to talk a little bit. Listen, the Giant game. Um, last year, I thought the Giants played well in, the, in many games. They were thrown in the end zone or defending the end zone at the end of the game. But what went on yesterday was like, for me as an older guy, like bad NFL um, 
I would I would just put a big sign over the Giants that said, "There's nothing going on here." There's they have some decent receivers. They have a terrible offensive line. Their defense isn't bad. I think Denver may not be that bad this year. I think Bridgewater might be okay. Well, their defense is going to be good. Bridgewater, right. I think regular. Bridgewater, I think he's going to be okay. We'll I think see when be they, get a, they play a team that True. gets after but, the, pe- the quarterback. But Daniel Jones, I mean, dude, you just can't fumble like this anymore. He's just, uh, like, I don't know. If there's some quarterback available, if the Giants, say the Giants pick like 20 next year or something like that, and there's a quarterback available that they like, you got to take him. Well, they could always just take another receiver at 20. Like they yeah, just keep on. For no reason. The They're Giants, doing it backwards. Uh, the Giant line stinks. It's just, um, anyway. Of course, the Packers got smoked. Chris here was sad about that. Um, the Cowboys lost on Thursday, which um, every all these Cowboy fans like, oh, my God, we're so good now. You lost. You have no defense. Um, but I do got to admit, I thought Dak Prescott played well. And the C.D. Lamb guy is a real deal for sure. I'm not so sure how well coached they are. I don't think any of this. And I really want to see week two. You know, none of these guys played in preseason. And when you get when you get hit now in the NFL, you know, you all know. If you ever like, remember when you play uh, flag football on uh, Thanksgiving weekend and you haven't done anything in a while? Oh, how sore are you that the next four or five right, well, days? Well, let's just run it back to like the summertime when I played softball for the first time. And you, you. Right, you do, you, you got to take a tire. Adler. You blew so, a tire. You couldn't even play pickleball. I was, for like I three was weeks. a mess, and uh, so now even at the NFL level, these guys are getting hit, and they really didn't play that much. So I think I actually predict guys like Brady, and even Dak Prescott, who didn't really play that much. I think these guys are not going to do as well. The in good the thing second week. For, I could be wrong for them wrong. is that they actually get like an extended week because they played on Thursday, so now they get eleven yeah, days th- off. They're, just, they're not going to be still sore, but like. It's, it's a different thing. We'll see what happens. But he certainly played well. Um, so, yeah, that's the Giants. Uh, the Eagles the only team that won. So the Giants only came out from the Eagles. But I just, I, you know what? I have to, well, I'm not, I'm not there's nothing uh, exciting and new here. The Giants looked like shit yesterday. End of story on that. Um, of course, now it is time for the absolute favorite part of my show because it when it's the absolute favorite part of the show that means it's time for the greatest segment in the history of podcast jimmy's bookings so well titled it's so awful we kept the title and that of course is sponsored by absolute eyewear opticians from woodbridge new jersey 42 main street woodbridge new jersey 732-326-3937 732-326-3937 it's owned by craig and janine michaud Friends of the family, of course. Uh, Craig played on right center field on my softball team, and Jay Bird knows what the hell she's doing over there, so she's perfect. Um, she's also a huge sports fan and a huge fan of uh, Chop Sports. It's family-owned. They're brother and sister. They're cool. Um, they're a full-service optical place. I mean, they got prescription eyewear, prescription sunglasses, non-prescription sunglasses, safety glasses, sport glasses, all that stuff. Glasses for the kids getting involved here from the Omni. Eye exams, you go there, as I always say, and I think uh, Chris gets mad at me, but I'll say it again. When you go there, they don't make you feel like a jerk off. <laughs> I mean, how many times you go to a store and you're trying to talk to the guy and you don't feel right? They, and when they, they actually, they don't just sell you these higher end glasses or lower end. They make sure that it fits right. Uh, the, if they don't like the style, the color of the thing, they're, they're good at all that. You walk out of there feeling like you bought the right pair. Um, they got glasses for every budget, including mine, which is practically zero. They got discounts to seniors, the AAA, AARP, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, of course, 
you get $100 off a complete pair of prescription glasses when you mention this podcast. Complete pair, which means frames and lenses. So listen to me. Call them up. I even think they shit. They can ship you stuff if you have your... Uh, they shit in a box and send it to you. Yeah, they shit in a box. No, they ship you stuff if you have... Uh, you know your uh, that little slip that the guy gives you with the eye doctor, which with all the numbers, you call them up and give them that, and maybe they can ship you something. Uh, but you'll deal with them. But of course, what I always love to do, they have tons of different brands. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Glasses that are available at Absolute Eyewear, Ray Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Silhouette, Michael Kors. Vogue, Maui Jim, and Costa Del Mar. Glasses at Absolute Eyewear. That is my Bob Shepard. So go check it out. Absolute Eyewear, 732-326-3937. All right, bookings. Now, here we go. Um, one of the cool bookings I did was a movie called Most Violent Year, okay, which was directed by the same guy who did March and Call, which I've talked about on the show. Directed by J.C. Chandor. Um, he's definitely like three for three with movies that have done well. It's got Oscar Isaac in it and Jessica Chastain. She's always hitting three somewhere. Um, and another uh, actor, uh, Glenn F uh, Fleischler, who you know from Billions and The Joker and Boardwalk Empire. Really cool. I don't want to call him a character actor. I think he's bigger than that. Um, but the crazy thing was, they shot the movie during when New York got like, I guess about seven or eight years ago. They got like eight snowstorms in a row. So if you're shooting in New York and there's snow, and one of the snowstorms was like 16 inches. And so we were shooting uh, in a barber shop. I played a barber. And it was a really cool scene because it was cold out outside and they had vans, but they had it was like 10 degrees and snow all over the place. And they had to keep like the cast because the barbershop was small in the vans with the heat on. So I had to play a barber and in the scene, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to give the guy a cut and a shave and that kind of thing. And they're kind of two mobsters kind of deal. And the mobster comes into the barbershop. Now, you know, the history of sometimes people get killed in barbershops um, famously, but there's like tension when you're shooting a movie, sometimes the music and the way they edit now, it. Wait, what was the name of the movie? Name of the movie was called Most Violent Year. Um, so when you sometimes when you're shooting a movie with tension, you don't have that drama music in the background when you're shooting it. So he walks in, and I'm like this barber, and he they kind of give me a look like Jimmy, um, you know, go away. We want to talk. So that's what I do. But here's the thing, and I find this so funny. Again, I got a fucking gout attack the, like the night before in the morning of. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I can, I can still act while my toe is inflamed. However, in the scene, I have to walk back to the, uh, like, the, the, like a curtained room or like I keep, I don't know, storage or something like that. And it was like a 20-foot walk. And you got to do like 35 takes of these things. My toe, I, literally every time I took a step, I was actually limping. So I was like embarrassed. I told the guy, I went up to the director and I said, hey man, I kind of hurt my uh, ankles. Right? If I limp back, is that cool? Does that give another image like, 
oh, why is the barber limping as if like, you know, they shot me 20 years ago in the ankle because I like, you know, didn't, I didn't cover the bed or something like that. So there I am walking slowly as if I'm acting. Meanwhile, I'm walking that way because my toe was, I was ready to bite. Your best performance to yeah, date. You know, people do the Meisner technique. I do the gout technique. So I go to the storage room. Now there was nowhere to sit and I couldn't come back out till their scene was done, which was this long, cool scene in the movie. And dude, I had to stand. I was I was in so much pain in the room. And then during a break, I had to go back into the van. I had to kind of put my foot. And I was embarrassed. Can't tell people you got the gout, you know. And um, yeah, half the people don't even know what that yeah, is. They think you it's like, oh, you're a fat it. fuck drunk, and it's not what it is, and all that different stuff. So, uh, but it was like it was it was like really like, oh my god, how the hell am I gonna get out of this? So really cool scene. And the movie is a really cool movie. Totally recommend it. Um, and my scene is a pretty cool little scene. One of those little short scenes I did that. I think it's pretty cool. And JC became a fan um, uh, with the Tina 2 movies. And he actually booked me in a commercial later on. So that was the most violent year. The next one after that, I think this is part of my big stars uh, scenario, was the movie Collateral Beauty, which was directed by David Frankel, stars Will Smith, Edward Norton, and of course Helen Mirren, and then Kate Winslet, who I did my scene with. And um, first of all, I, I've talked about this on the show. Um, these people, they're from Australia. They're full-blown Australian accents, but when they yell action, they sound like they're from Queens. It's unbelievable how they don't sound Australian. Like, if I was shooting a movie in Australia, I couldn't match the Australian accent. Someone would say, oh my God, that guy Jimmy Plumbo sounds like he grew up in Melbourne. Like, no, he sounds like a guy going, hi, mate, hi, 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 it's, all, it's crazy. But we shot it, um, I, by the way, I think this movie, Collateral Beauty, is one of the most underrated movies of all time. I loved it. The reviews on it were mixed, but uh, I did read one review that thinks it might be one of those holiday classics over time. It's it's about a guy uh, um, who lost his uh, daughter, and and they they do you don't know really what's going on. There's angels involved. It's really um, it you really it's a movie you can't watch while you're washing dishes. You got to sit down and watch this movie. It's intense. It's sad. A lot of parts are. Uh, Emotional. It's a very is it good on movie. Netflix right now or anything. It's probably on one of those things. I'm sure yeah. it is. Um, but please check it out. But my scene, uh, Will Smith won't come out of his apartment, and uh, I play the super in the apartment. So Kate Winslet really loves Will Smith, who's heartbroken over the loss of his child, and um, she always brings him food and leaves it at the door, knocks on the door, and Will Smith is in the room, in the apartment, but won't answer the door. And she kind of has this dialogue. Meanwhile, I play the super, and I open up the door, and I'm like, hey, you know, don't leave the food. He doesn't take it, you know? And then I had, he added the improv. I was like, hey, but you left that broccoli robin chicken last week. It was very good. So it's to the point where I eat the food, the super eats it. So it's a cute little, another thing, you'll see me in the, I look like I'm 700 pounds in the hallway. I mean, I know, I'm, I know I've picked up a few pounds, but the angle and what I was wearing, I look like an offensive lineman, you know, at uh, at Penn State or something like that. But uh, it's a really cool scene. As a matter of fact, in my notes, it just says uh, Kate <laughs> Kate Winslet accent and I look fat. Those are my notes on it. <laughs> but it's a really cool movie. Check it out. Um, and I, I did get to meet Will Smith briefly. After, uh, he was getting ready to shoot from the other side of the door. So the other thing, the movie I did, a uh, TV show I did, is called Forever. It's directed by... Um, um, Brad Aronson, casted by Susan Ryan, who I love. She's casted me a bunch of times, brought me in a lot. Um, 
And it's with a star. And if I'm butchering how to say his first name, I don't. It's I O A N. Ion. I don't know if it's Irish or English. It's Ion Gruffend. Um, he was in the Fantastic Four movies, Titanic. You've seen this guy. It was a TV show called Forever. But here was the cool thing something I kind of never really fully did. There's a scene where he somehow is uh, protecting this prostitute like he likes her for some reason, even though she was nothing more than a run-of-the-mill prostitute. And I play like a jerk-off at detective because she gets killed. And I play the detective like, what are you worried about this girl for? She was nothing but a whore. And I kind of, whatever relationship this other detective had with her, I'm insulting him. But meanwhile, I'm just a regular jackass detective saying like, you know, one piece of garbage murdered another piece of garbage. So he, I, 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 I go past the line, and he's got to punch me in the face. Now, the cool thing is, they, the way they do it, they set up this huge cushion thing to my right, and he's going to belt me across the face, and then I just, the way the camera angle is, I'm just going to fly off camera and land on this unbelievably soft, can't-get-hurt-ever kind of cushion. Um, and so, but here's the thing. He's got to walk up and punch but I have, my face has to move in time with the punch. So the first take, first of all, I don't care who you are. Listen, I don't do this every single day. When someone walks up and swings at you, you naturally like, I went way too soon. So it was like, like picture it like he's swinging and I'm already like my face is turned. So uh, since it was only like a rehearsal, the first take, the guy, the guy in charge of the fight scene comes up to me. He's like, uh, hey, Jimmy, um, just to let you know, really kind. You have like, to stand in the pocket goes, a little longer. Yeah, I definitely got half your feet. I was, meanwhile, what I tell you, though, he wasn't, he was eight inches away from my face, but your brain just, I said, all right, yeah, I went a little early. So then the second time, the second take, I went late. Now he's now I stayed in the pocket too long. <laughs> so he he Sound swings. Like I go Jones. But the cool thing was I was diving onto the onto the max. I really had to get belted. So uh, they kept on asking me, "You okay? You okay?" I'm like, "Fine." Finally, like the third or fourth take, I got the got the timing down. But the weird thing was he he has to time out his steps like one, two, three, four swing. So one of the last takes we did, dude, he swung and. You know, after only being six inches away, the whole thing like, for 10 takes, whatever it was, dude, he got, he came, what I think was way too close for blowing out my face because he's doing a full swing. And I would say it was only like half inch away. Like I felt like the, the hairs in my nose rattling a little bit. I was like, whoa. And I dove over. But the great thing about this guy was my mother was a fan of the show. Yeah, I guess it was like episode eight or nine. And so I, during the breaks, I they, they had the whole the cast was sitting around. This is the guy from Titanic? Yeah. Which uh, guy? Is he like the uh, villain from Titanic? I don't Titanic? know who he was. He was in Fantastic Four, too. You know his face. He, he's like a, he's like a kind of a, was a star, and he probably got on a TV show as the lead. I'm trying um, to think if he's the guy that was married to Kate Winslet in Titanic that. I don't remember. I don't remember. I haven't seen He was Titanic like the rich guy that was the, the other, the other kind of lead. It wasn't uh, You know really what? I lead. should know this. I don't. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. It's I O A N. Yon. Sometimes it's like Jean. I don't know what um, how to do that. I should probably know. But here's the cool thing. So I'm telling this guy that I was like, "Hey, hey, man! I just want to know. I love when I do a show that my mother can watch, and my mother's a huge fan of this show. And I thought he was going to go. Oh, that's nice. So you know, remember I tell you, some actors are not not friendly. They're just not overly friendly. They're just kind of like. 
okay, like um, your mother likes the show. Like they give you half a smile. But he was like, oh really? Your mom, your mom likes the show, and you know, you know, he's going on. I said, yeah. I go. Uh, she told me, oh my god, you're gonna meet those people. I said, yeah, mom. She was so excited. And he looks at me. He goes, hey, well, after we're done doing the scene, we'll, we'll you know, we'll take a picture, and we'll um, and we'll make sure we send it to her. And I was like, oh, that. But I'm, now I'm like, I was like. I was totally in shock. He said that. I was like, "Yeah, all right, that'd be great." So after so many takes of me diving on the mat, you know, with the punch and all that stuff, um, so we're done with the scene. All right, that's all for Jimmy Plumbo today. He he literally goes, "Hey, dude, let's take that picture for your mother." Like he went out of his way, and I'm like, "That's how you gotta be. You're a star of a show." Some jerk off fat fuck actor, Jimmy Plumbo, says, "My mom's a fan of the show, and before you leave, you get that photograph." And I got a picture of me and him, and then like I think it was, and the other people who hopped in the cast. Um, so I'll always be grateful to this guy when I learn how to pronounce his name next time I see him. Um, if anybody wants to call in and say, how do you pronounce I-O-A-N as a first name? Eon? Or is it Jean? Sometimes uh, they use an I. I would say maybe Ian. Could be Ian. You right, might be right. All right, the other show I did um, on NBC... And this is another. Uh, this is this is all part of the big star uh, series of movies I did uh, and TV shows. Mysteries of Laura on NBC. It had Deborah Messing and also Josh Lucas. Another guy's been on a million. And I played once again. Is that from uh, Grace? Uh, Will and Grace. Will and Grace. Yeah. Um, now Deborah Messing was was um, was was pretty. She, uh, but you know, she doesn't have you know the. the She's well, Will and Grace was a long time ago, so it's like you know, it's like, um, you know, how do I aging LeBron James? No, no, not aging, she was still a pretty lady. You know, uh, I had to say, I played a pizzeria owner and who puts clams on pizza, and I used this certain kind of a clam from the hap hap hog area, and she's from the area where I didn't know how to pronounce it, and neither did anybody. And it's very hard when you're doing a scene, and I'm supposed to know it cold. Because that's the character would know that cold, and is it hop hog, hop hog? There's all kinds of those weird pronunciations, and she finally said, "Jimmy, pronounce it like this." I was like, "Okay," and then she looked at the executive producer and was like, "I'm from that area." That she said it like kind of a dick, but like she goes, "That's how you do it," and I was like, I looked at her like, "Hey." If you're from that area, I, I looked at her. So I go, I'm from New Jersey. And I know if someone's a jerk off, I know you're being a jerk off. It's <laughs> blank stare back. <laughs> it's like Palumbo with a misfire there. Uh, I ended up doing brujute and gabagool material. But um, again, she was one of those. She was looking at me like I was an oil painting, and that's fine. Uh, but here's the unique thing. Number one, I played a pizzeria owner. And I think I've, even though I played cops and detectives, my number one thing might be pizzeria owners. I did it on th that show. I did it on 30 Rock. I did it on Monk. What about bartender? I d I've done bartenders too. <laughs> I'm all the service industries. Um, you know what? I'm the service oh industry you're liaison. A, you were, um, what was it? In Curb? Pretty much I get tips any acting job I work at. But the weird thing is, when I do these jobs, the actor, you know, they don't know me. They think I really am a bartender. I really am a pizza guy. She probably thought I owned the pizzeria. Cam driver. Right. It's so embarrassing. Concierge. Um, maybe they think, because I'm so realistic at it, that they know how this guy's really good because he is a bartender. And I'm not. Um, but here's, the we here's another weird thing about this show. Pretty much first time ever... I mean, I'm going to blow the ending now. I'm the killer. 
I've never played like um you know those hour dramas at the end they nail the guy I'm the guy I'm the killer I'm the jerk off um, the other one is uh, a very unique very important booking to me for a really weird reason I did the show Sneaky Pete now you got to remember I shot this the pilot and uh, what happened was I had to play a bus driver okay and the bus driver keeps a picture of his father on above above the where the, where the bus driver dashboard the, like a, the up high rear view, and uh, Giovanni Rubisi, who was the the guy, is getting released from prison. That's Phoebe's brother from Friends, and he's trying to get uh, he's trying to get over on me to drop me off at a different location because he knows he's going to get killed as soon as he steps off the bus because he got released from prison. And he stares up at the photograph and realizes it looks like he might be with his father. So he starts talking to me about his father. And that makes me drop him off where I'm not supposed to. Like, they have block before. Um, and uh, so they called me up a week before we started shooting and say, Jimmy, you know, can you send a picture? Is your dad still around? Yeah, I can get a picture of you and your... We might... We want it to look like it was to get a picture of you and your dad, you know? So I sent my father... I sent him in this... Uh, perfect picture of me and my father and the cool thing was they do a close-up on the photograph and everybody who's seen it oh you know now that my dad's passed they're like oh my god Jimmy it's like that's that's your dad on the photograph so I love the fact that my father is a celluloid hero forever a hundred years Bro, from I, now got, I got a, a text a phone call from my mother because she didn't even know that you were in Right in that, and she calls me up. And she's like, "Oh my god, I'm watching." She's like, "And all of a sudden, I see the guy that used to drive the light blue truck around right town so on the movie." And then I, I realize, uh, "Oh my god, that's Jimmy." You know what? We're, when we're done doing this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna go on. Uh, I think it's on um, Amazon, and I'll show you the scene. You're gonna laugh your ass off. I saw it. So uh, to me, it's like I, I just uh, I love it because um, it's just my dad's on the screen with me, even though it's a photograph, um, and they cut him out of beer league, which annoys my soul. But the other funny thing is, and I don't know how true this is, Giovanni Ribisi was just me and him in like this old, big, cavernous uh, uh, factory in Yonkers. And they had the two buses. They had one bus had to pull up, the other one had to pull away. And so they had a little tent area with a heater because it was the middle of winter. It was just me and Giovanna Rabisi. And since I didn't have, I had a nice little scene, but I knew it. I, I was, I don't know, again, one of those things. I wasn't nervous at all. Don't know why. Maybe some people think I suck in the scene because I, I didn't, I, I prepared. I was ready to go. And uh, so he comes in and sits next to me. And I got a full coffee. I got a New York Post, the Daily News. I'm reading, probably reading about a Rutgers game or something like that. And he walks in. I'm like, oh, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is cool. The star sit next to me. And I tried to like, I said, like, what's going on? And I said, oh, they're shooting in New York. Are you living in LA? I think his mother is a big time casting director. So there's some guy, he's got a connection to showbiz somehow before him, either his parents or was someone, you know, I'm not saying that's why he's in showbiz, but there's a connection there. So I was trying to be like, oh, you living here now? Like, are you here just for the shoot? Like, do you fly back? And the conversation, I was like chatty Kathy. And usually I realize early on, Jimmy, this person doesn't want to talk to you. Shut up and move on. But I think my ra my my radar was off a little bit. I, I went like another, I think I talked about a minute and a half too long where I realized, oh my God, just like doing a podcast, I'm the only one talking. And he's not giving me, he's giving me the blank stare. And then I, I realized that he, if he was one of those, uh, if his approach to acting, this Meisner thing or whatever, was that. I have to do a scene with this guy. I can't be friendly with him 
Like maybe that's what he was doing, or he was just a dick. I don't know. Or he was just whatever I was saying was boring. I don't really know. Or sometimes people just aren't feeling it that they, day too. Exactly. There's they so maybe, many different yes. factors in this. But you know, there's nothing frustrating because you're like, you know, I mean, Giamatti Ramirez—he's a nice guy, I guess, but he's not like it's not like a George Clooney or you know Tom Selleck was in the house. But um, but then I, we shot the scene. We hear nothing of the show. It's gone, and it turns out that they. It didn't get picked up, and then Amazon did a thing where they released four pilots onto Amazon, okay, and had a voter, um, whoever votes the votes the highest, that this show should become a show wins. So it, it was like a year and a half, two years after we shot it, and then uh, uh, they said they were they were reshooting the pilot. I didn't get the call, so again, I just assumed. That I'm out. They they recasted the scene. Maybe they rewrote the scene. I don't. Whatever they do, I'm out. And so again, I mistakenly, of course, my nobody called on my behalf. I I don't know who to call. When it came out on Amazon, first episode, it's really the first like it's the second scene. Um, there I was, you know, boom, <laughs> coming right out. I was like, so they kept my scene, which you love to hear because that means that. You're see, you did well enough where they weren't going to reshoot the scene. It was good enough the first time. Well, they were trying to save money. It was like paying my fat ass again. But it's a cute little scene with him. It's definitely worth checking out. So that is my uh, that's my five uh, my five bookings. I was going to do another one, but hold on because I want to tell another story when we come back. Warren Brumell of Keyport Law has been practicing for over thirty five years and is here to help you in your bankruptcy matters. Bankruptcy is a specialized area of law that requires expertise and experience, and Warren brings both. Keyport Law has handled over 10,000 bankruptcy cases. They will make the process simple and provide easy, affordable payment plans. Warren will get creditors off your back, stop the annoying phone calls, and stop the creditors from contacting your neighbors and former employers. Listeners of Chop Sports will get the first interview free. Go to www.keyportlaw.com and fill out the new client intake form, and they will contact you directly. This firm is a debt relief agency helping people file for relief under the bankruptcy code. All right, we are back. You know, I was thinking, uh, I was talking to my my buddy Pat out in L.A., and I always wanted to, I, when I lived in L.A., and I, this is something I know Chris he's, he hasn't even heard yet. Um, I lived in a bunch of different little places for, for only like weekends, two weeks, because I would fly back and forth. But when I finally kind of committed to, to living out in L.A., I moved in with my, my dear friend, Henry Pollock, God rest his soul, and I lived in this like three bedroom townhouse that when he was on TV all the time, he was the uh, secretary on Webster. So when he was making big TV money, he bought like a really gorgeous three bedroom, uh, gorgeous uh, townhouse. But that was 30 years before and he didn't add much to it. So it was kind of an aging, LeBron, an aging townhouse. And he, he rented out a room to me Um in North Hollywood, otherwise known as Valley Village. So that's where I started really living uh, in L.A. But right around the corner was this bar called the Foxfire Room. And back then, I was single, and you just have days down there where it's like things are shitty, no auditions. And you know what? You, you duck, duck into a bar for a beer on a Wednesday afternoon just to clear your head. So I walked into this place. And for me, it was like I walked into this bar, and I was like, wow. This is awesome. Like, this is this is where I wanted. This is the bar. Like on a Friday night, I don't feel like going out to some crazy nightclub and hanging out with actresses. Like, oh, this is it. 
I walk in. There's no windows in the place. Okay. The bar is open from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., which means it's a professional dive bar right there. Wood paneling on the walls. Okay. The seats are those captain chair seats up against the bar with your elbows at the bar. Have It's leather all the way around. You don't see these too often anymore. Okay. Like your dad may know places like this. The captain's chair had the leather and the leather on the, uh, on the, um, on the, where you rest your arms. Dark, uh, not dirty, you know, red carpeting, clean, just, just like no food. Okay. And old school lighting on the, on the, the liquors on the top, like under, like the, the shelves that go up and they're mirrored and there's lit. So like, it, it, I swear to God, if we ever go to LA, when Chop Sports branches out to the LA, I'll bring you there. You'll be like, Jimmy, I totally get what you're saying. Like, it's one of those places when you go into, you're like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go in there and drink myself. I never want to leave. <laughs> like it's the way, but also had this feel of like, since there was no windows, there's no, there's no time there. So a couple, the first time I went in there by myself, there was like six people in there, but it was like, it was like a Tuesday at like 1230. Is it a former strip club with no windows? No, no windows. Not a strip club. It always was a bar. And I walked in there and I sat down I ordered a a beer. The beer was only like four bucks for a beer. And I sat there and this older lady was like, how you doing? I'm like, all right. She didn't really talk to me. So they had those dart machine games, you know, stuff like that. Cigarette machine. I mean, the classic thing. So I'm sitting there. So there's another guy came over and said, hey, how are you? And I looked at him. I said, hey, man, I just kind of moved out of here, you know. I moved, I moved, I live like 100 yards away. He's like, oh, welcome to California. This is the Foxfires. It's like, you know, this, uh, welcome. My name is Bill. That He introduced me, this older guy, to everybody in there. This is Bill. He's in, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's like, like I'm in his house. He goes, oh, you're going to love this bar. Friendly, come in anytime. You can come at night. There's some younger people there if you're single, but you come during the day. You want to have a little, you want to come early in the morning for a Bloody Mary? I'm like, I'm looking at this guy like, of course I want to do all that, you know. But it was like kind of, you could tell he was like the, the talker, but it wasn't like he was a loser drunk. He didn't seem drunk at all. Neither was I at this point. So I ended up having, you know, I, I had the Bloody Mary. Because, you know, I had the beer. They yeah, try the Bloody Marys. They're good here. And I love when someone gives. Because Bloody Marys are one of those things where if you don't like Bloody Marys, but then you don't order them ever and we move on. But if you're a Bloody Mary fan, it's a subgenre of like, how do they make them? How's it going? And the way they poured them in this large rocks glass with the olives and everything, and, and they made it right in front of you with the salt, the pepper, the horseradish with the little. In this dive bar, they made it as if you were at the plaza in New York. So. That was my first experience, but it was only during the day. So, of course, I was there for four hours. And the next time I went in there, I was talk- I went in there like it was more like happy hour. And I started talking to uh, some of the regulars. And then I met this guy, Mark, who was the owner. And uh, nicest guy in the world. Crazy thing is, Mark's owned the bar for a long time, doesn't drink. Supposedly, as the story goes, this bar was... Back in the 50s and 60s, with all the studios in North North Hollywood by Burbank there, this was a bar that a lot of the Hollywood guys went to, but the carpenters, the electricians, the lighting guys, all the not no, you know, non-actors. And in this area where this bar was, there used to be people that lived in the business, but weren't like loaded. It was the, it was a place you could afford to raise a family if you were a carpenter on 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 a set of uh, you know Mannix or so like the crew. 
crew guys. And uh, I'm sure they used to duck out for some liquid lunches, stuff like that. Uh, it's right next to a thing. where It's, it's literally like a half a mile away from CBS Radford Studios where Seinfeld was shot and Gilligan's Island and stuff like that. So, but they started telling me that, you know, the owner was like, yeah, well, I get, I get a morning crowd at 6 a.m. I was like, dude, who's coming in here at 6 a.m.? He goes, I get some old guys come in. I was like, they start drinking right away. He goes, no. They come in, I got coffee, and he had a really cool coffee machine behind the bar, which I didn't even notice, like almost like a diner coffee machine. He goes, Jimmy, they come in with the paper, they bring donuts, they come in, they bring in a box of donuts, or they bring some food in uh, that people nibble on, and everybody, for the first hour or two, it's pretty much coffee. They're reading the paper, recapping the games the night before. He goes, right around an hour and a half in, Hey, you know, put a little uh, put a little Jameson in the coffee. It starts off like that. And they're there for two or three hours. These guys are retired, though. He goes, and then what happens is those guys leave. And he goes, then I get the Irish biddies that come in. These ladies come in around 11 o'clock, 11 to 1. And they go in for the scotch and soda. And there was I've been in there every different time. They go in there for scotch and soda and the BS with their girlfriend. And these people are in their 60s and 70s. So I would BS with them on night date. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't in there every day. But I always tried to go at different times in the beginning to see who was in there. Then they got the happy hour crowd. Contractors coming in. Guys from the sets coming in when the day ends. Blah, blah, blah. And then it was dead from like 5.30, 6 o'clock till about 8.30. It was dead. It's actually the time you could go in there and, and there nobody in there. But then at 8.30, they got popular as kind of a dive bar. And they had gotten voted... Um, Best dive bar. I think Britney Spears drank in there. People like that, singers and stuff like that. So at eight thirty, all these young people came in, and so next you know it was jumping. It was like a really and like seven days a week, especially on Sunday nights. Their karaoke was big, but I loved it because if you went in there at one o'clock, there's no windows. It's like Vegas. Like I, I went one day on a Friday. I went in at like three o'clock, and I closed the place at two. I'm never in a bar for ten hours, but this was the kind of bar because you're BSing with that guy and you're BSing with that guy. Well, at the end of the night, you're at the cool clubs in Hollywood. You're coming back home. Just want to go home, and I only lived a hundred yards away. I'd park in the parking lot, go have my nightcap. See, you was in there. There's always some chicks in there. Blah blah blah. But it was just fascinating because he got uh, the the place became like hip. And then at the, the movie Magnolia got shot there, which was directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And as the story goes, they wanted to, the, the director was like, I have to shoot in this bar. This is where I have to shoot. And if you're inside of it, you would be like, this is a cool place. And he was like, I don't know who Paul Thomas Anderson, he's the guy who did Boogie Nights and all those movies. This was the follow-up to Boogie so Nights. So who, who's the guy? The, the owner? The director. The owner didn't? The owner didn't want. Didn't give a shit. Who he did. didn't know who Paul yeah. Thomas, he was not a movie guy. Another funny yeah. thing, his clientele was so. Uh, finally, they were like, he, they didn't discuss money, and they offered him like I think it was like fifteen or twenty grand a day, and he was like, oh, wait a minute, like that's a lot of money. But then they were said, listen, they, we were told that they could rip the place up and ruin the place. But it turns out they don't leave that; they leave it as is. They just they're allowed to screw things in the ceiling to hang a light and stuff like that. So we found out this movie was being shot there and it was closed for four days. Who do I see sitting outside in the chair in the back? This guy, Mark. I'm like, Mark, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I got I to give out free drink tickets. I was like, dude, don't you have the movie shooting in there? He goes, yeah, but he goes, Jimmy, you don't understand how it works. He goes, there's bars all around here. He 
I'll get a guy who, if he can't drink when he wants to drink, he'll go to a bar down the street. And you'll never see him I'll again. lose him for five years. Because if I raise my drink prices 25 cents, I can lose a guy. For, they'll go to the bar and realize, oh, Joe drinks in there, and I'll, you're gone. So what he did was anybody that pulled up that didn't realize there was a movie going on there, he gave away free drink tickets. So when they it's over, you come back and right. use them. And he yeah. kept it. Like, so it was like a Monday. He's like, no, I'll be open Friday. I'll be open Friday. But he ended up making like 60, 70 grand, which is way more. And the only thing they did was one little hole in the ceiling that they patched up. And in the movie, it's a, the bartending scene. You'll see it. Um, with the guy from, um, what's the movie? Everybody's a loser. Everybody's a jerk. It's been on for a while. The whole, the whole family's a piece of garbage and shameless. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so William Macy. Uh, yes. He, he's in the scene. When you see it, it's like, my God, that's totally my bar. I drink at. It's awesome. Like whenever I see it's on, I'll like, we'll wait for that scene. It's so funny to see like the inside of a place you spend time with. But here's, here's one of the best part about it. I have two funny stories with this. So, one day I was flying back to LA and my luggage got on the flight, but my flight got, the, I had to wait. I got the next flight. My luggage went, I didn't. And I had all my stuff in two big suitcases. And I was like, Oh my God, am I going to, if I don't get this stuff back, I had, I had like a laptop in all the pre nine 11 stuff. I had my headshots. I had, I had stuff that I really needed. Like if I lost my suitcase, I would have been in big trouble. So, what do I do? I end up taking a cab from um, LAX back, and I realize I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, uh, I'm just gonna go right to the Foxfire. I always go whenever I came back from New Jersey. I always went right to the Fox to have a, have a cocktail and say hello to everybody. So I go in there and I'm like freaked out. I'm like, I'm like, dude, my luggage. They they said it's already in at a LAX, but it wasn't. I couldn't when I was in LAX. I couldn't get it, and. So I had to keep on calling this 1-800 number. The problem was they weren't going to deliver it till like 3 a.m. And I didn't want to wake up my roommate. So the guy, Mark, goes, Jimmy, my brother's going to be here all night. He's got to clean up the place. We open at 6 a.m. Have your luggage delivered here. And I'm like, all right. you know." So I give the address of the bar. And I wrote, it's a bar. Figuring maybe they think I work at the bar. So what happens is I end up getting trashed that night, having a great time, you know, chicks bouncing around. I completely forgot about my luggage. I forgot even why I was in L.A. I didn't know who I was. I go to bed. My phone's ringing through the night, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. They try to call me now. My luggage is there. I would have been in no condition to go, even though I would have to get in my car, throw it in the trunk. So the best was I didn't get, I didn't pick it up till like noon the next day. And the, uh, the, the other the, uh, manager, the brother, didn't know he, he he was like pissed. Why is someone delivering their personal luggage here? He forgot his brother said to do it. So I'm known in the history of the Foxfire, the only guy to have his luggage delivered to that. Now, I was never there at 6 a.m. I was there like some, a couple, had a couple 9 a.m. So, um, so one night, me and my buddy Eddie Driscoll, we're partying. We started late, like started at midnight. We ended up with these chicks and a bunch of guys back at this uh, apartment and we were playing like those crazy dice games uh, charades of that kind of one of those games I hate playing but we were having fun one of the girls was hot I was sitting on one and uh, Eddie was sitting on the other one and I guess you know 3 o'clock in the morning 4 o'clock in the morning and they the, all these people hung out at the Foxfire it started to get late and I was like oh you know I'm, I'm done it's late it's, this chick's blowing me off I'm not gonna get the wind here let me go home and one of the girls goes guys it's 530 
we could actually open up the Foxfire. And to me, it was like, you just told me it's Christmas morning. I was like, I always like, what's it like at 6 a.m. in this bar? So one of the people that was sleeping was, was sober. We all pile in his car and we go, we go get donuts. Cause like, I'm like, we have to get donuts. That's what you do when you're the old timers. We go in there and we, we ended up getting at 20 to six and we're like, Oh, this is a buzzkill. Like you can't, can't go in. So I, I guess he had a camera outside. So we're sitting outside this bar eating powdered donuts that we got at like the Seven Eleven that's open 24 hours. And like I had a coffee in my hand. I was like, I'm so pumped to go in there. And all of a sudden we're there five minutes and I was like, oh, this sucks. I want to just go home then. Like it's not, it's not working. It's not Christmas day. All of a sudden Mark opens the door and he's like, assholes. Because he knew on the camera was just four like younger drinkers, you know. He's like, asshole, what are you guys doing out here? I'm like, my Mark. He's like, we have to wait 15 more minutes. He's like, no, you don't. Come on in. He's like, it's 6 a.m., but like, no one, there's nobody up. Nothing's going to happen. So we go in there, and of course, the, the old lady bartender's already there, and she's like setting up the bar just as if it was noon, you know, to her. And uh, I was like, I sat at the bar, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm at my bar at 6 a.m., like what the veterans do. Like, it was like a badge of honor. Of course, I ordered a Bloody Mary instantly. Here's the worst part. Now, I've been drinking all night, so I start drinking a Bloody Mary. We're having fun. They, they got the nude, the Today Show's on. We're watching all this stupid shit, and we're having a good time. And all of a sudden, like, the first, I would say, hour, it was just us four. And I was like, oh, there's, I'm like, there's really nobody in here. Dude, I went to go take a piss. I came back. There was 15 people in the bar. Like, it was as crowded as any bar like uh, during the day, as you see anywhere, I was like, oh, this place. I was like, this guy Mark makes money all day long. It's you know, even it's five dollar beer still. It's all day. Cut to, I'm on my like fourth Bloody Mary, and it's like ten a.m. But I don't know. There's no no clock, no windows. All of a, you know, then it hit me. You know when you have that moment where you're like, I realize, wow, uh, like is, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. This was I had a massive amount of alcohol in the last like. 17 hours <laughs> you realize and I looked at my buddy I was like dude what time is it he said it was like 10 15 I was like it's 10 15 a.m like I went out at 10 o'clock like I was like I went from like I just took like 40 dollars put it on the board I was like I'm out of here I walk outside it was hot the sun LA sun blaring into my eyes. It was like being at a Rutgers game. Uh, complete sun in my face. I was like, oh my God, this is brutal. I was like, I came I had like Bloody Mary mouth. I was I was drunk, but not like, I was more of like, not drunk drunk, but like a, a, a Like steady. after you just drink for so long <laughs> and so much, you kind of sober up. It was just like a buzz of- I don't know if that even yeah, makes sense. No, but you're not just sober, like, but you're not- but you're just like, it's no, you're, you're over gonna, it. You're not going to pass you out You can't drunk. get any more drunk. But it's just like, I was functional, um, uh, yeah, but it was like, it was sunny. I had to walk back. I realized I, I smelled a little bit. I was like, get me. I would need to go home. I came home. My roommate was like at the top of the steps, like, James- um, I was like, oh, yeah, rough one. <laughs> I just looked at him. I, went in, I didn't wake up. I, I think I lost like three days. I didn't, between the night before, the day of, I swear to God, I was like, I woke up. It seemed like four days later. I was like, what, what have I done? And so I refused to go in there at 6 a.m. ever again. But we did close the place many times. And we had to move the chairs for the guy who had a vacuum. Like he let us drink a couple of beers after, but you had to help out. 
throw garbage out. Like I still love all that. I bet you those days are done too. You probably can't do that now as well. But uh, he also fought the smoking ban. First, he just decided to let people smoke because I lived in I lived in New York, New Jersey, and uh, California when they got rid of smoking. Now, I'm not a smoker, so I didn't mind it. But uh, he fought it because he put this huge ventilation system in, and uh, uh, he was like, "Screw this!" And back th- in the beginning, it was only a fine. So the fire guy would come in every now and then and give you a fine, sitting at the bar, smoking. He would take the ticket and pay it. It was like 200 bucks, but he knew he had all the smokers in there. And then he went to, you couldn't have ashtrays. So he put little ketchup, ceramic ketchup things you get like at a, at a, when you're at, uh, at a bar. Then he went to Altoids containers because they said you couldn't have a, even an ashtray thing. He fought it until the point they changed the law, and I felt bad for him. If you get caught smoking, you could lose your liquor license. And that smoking ended in... 40 seconds. Yeah, that's it. But his clientele, in the beginning, I was there. I didn't smoke, so I didn't care. They would still, ah, Mark, fuck you. Come on, a cigarette. And he would literally grab them by the throat, be like, I love you. You're a customer. But if you light that cigarette again, I'm calling the police myself. That's my livelihood. It's my livelihood. And once everyone, he would tell people, it's my livelihood. And and he went to bat for how long for the smokers? He went way. Yeah, he went way. Also, the bar got even more crowded because everybody knew you could. There used to be bars you can smoke in. And his argument was he couldn't smoke. He put a little tent outside, but you're not allowed to bring your beer out. It's the bars that had a little backyard that they could set it up where you could have your beer and smoke outside. For him, you had to put your beer down and all this stuff. And, you know, back then with the roofy stuff, like it was a nightmare. Um, but now he has a much bigger tent set up over there. But my boy Mark's there. It's just a great bar to go to. Whenever I go to L.A., I take people there. I think it's a great place, too. I've had business meetings there because a lot of these people want to go for a drink and they want to go to these hot places. And if you really want to, like, have a couple of beers with... Uh, I'm not talking about the bit like a business meeting where you want to like during the day you want to go somewhere where no one's going to bother you I'll, i got the bar easy to park you sit down there you have tables in the corner with the with the red leather on it you can sit and you can do business and have a beer if you want that kind of thing but no food and he has a massive uh binder of all the restaurants in the area that will that's deliver. what i was going to ask and, most of these places and by the way delivered to delivering the food there is like no big deal like it sometimes in the beginning, it was just like people were bringing pizzas there and stuff like that. But towards the end, I was there. Like guys were ordering like surf and turf from some like big restaurant. And I guess everybody, I guess everybody that worked at restaurants knew the Foxfire. So as soon as it said Foxfire, they were like, "I'll drop it off over there." Like no big deal. Uh, so people were eating. Like he'd be sitting at the bar, and guy would be. But he didn't provide napkins. It was like, no, you want to eat it? Well, just eat it at the bar. I'm not. I'm not helping we'll you throw at all. it away for you when yeah, you're done. That's and, it. And you couldn't, like, if you made a mess, you had to, like, he wasn't like, oh, we'll clean it up. No, no, hey, dude, you can clean up your shit. Like, here's a paper towel. Like, because the bar was clean. Um, another thing I liked about it, the glasses were clean. It was like a clean bar in its own way. It's crazy. But, uh, so anyway, I know I went a little long there, but it's just a great bar called the Foxfire Room. Go in there, say hello to Mark, tell him Jimmy sent you. And you know what? I think the show is uh, done for the day here. Thank you for tuning in to the Jimmy Palumbo Show. No, we got to plug the shirts. Got to go on the... Oh, that's right. I, I haven't Chopsports.shop. Check Listen, out the merch. Go on to chopsports.shop.com. No, just no. chopsports.shop. 
Chopsports.shop. We got some uh, cool T-shirts. I got the 706 shirts. Um, they're really cool. If you're a fan of Beer League, you know I batted 706 in the movie. Check them out. I also got the Jimmy Palumbo Show shirts. And according to Chris, we're going to be having a shirt that says, Getting Involved, which is my favorite phrase I always use. And maybe, uh, what's the other one we're going to have? We got have? some mugs coming, but we're waiting for the... We're going to have some mugs coming, but, but getting involved may uh, come out uh, sooner rather than later. Speaking like, of getting involved, I'm not sure. I guess we could just talk about it now. Is this a concrete thing going forward on Mondays? Yeah. So in other words, I'm going to be doing uh, the show at 11. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to be doing the Chop Sports Daily Show, uh, busting balls on that. And uh, then, of course, I do right after that, I do my... Whatever, uh, whatever. What the hell happened to that what guy? What happened to that podcast? Which I don't even know the name of my own show. And then this podcast. So Mondays are big for me. We have a lot of laughs. And I want to get more involved with the Chop Sports Daily Show. Those guys do a great job. You got to make sure you tune in. And we will be doing all that stuff. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And please make sure you review, subscribe, uh, post, laugh, bust my balls. Watch the Rutgers game. Watch the Giants lose the Redskins on Thursday. Maybe they'll win, though. Redskins aren't that good. And uh, that's another thing I laughed at, that WFT totally looks like what the fuck every time I see the Redskins. I can't say Redskins. It's bad to say Redskins, right? I just can't get that out. I need a little more time. I wouldn't say that it's bad. But it's as not the Oakland Raiders either. It's not like you're, it's not in bad taste that you're saying it. No, you're just, just saying it because it's what you're used say, to. So. I'm not, here's what I'm not going to do. Washington football team. That's not happening. We're playing Washington. That's it. Why do I have to say football team? Say Washington. Yeah. I can't say skins. I think even. I think they should just keep the Washington football team name. I like it. Straight. That's how you say yeah, it all the it. time. It's old school Washington football team. That's it. Why can't I just say they play Washington? At Washington. Now, of course, I think they play at RFK, just like they play at Shea, RFK, Three Rivers. What are the other bad stadiums? Uh, Lambeau. The Omni. Lambeau's still there. Lambeau's still there, of course. You know, Yankee Stadium. But there's some like shitty cool old stadiums. Yeah, the, the FedEx Field. The Vet. That's where the, the, Eagles, the Eagles play at the Vet. That's how it works. And so the Giants, play, saying, the me- they play, the Giants play at the Meadowlands. They play no, they play at Giant Stadium but or the Meadowlands. I always, I, my whole life, I've said the Meadowlands. I, 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 we always said Giant Stadium, but it's not. But in the MetLife now, it's like Snoopy, and it's off. Anyway, that's my show. I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you. Where have you come from? Where have you gone? I'm